Hi listeners and welcome to Reasonable and Necessary, Australia's premier series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. I'm your host, Dr. George Talaporis, and on today's episode, we're talking to Belinda and Kim about what it's like living in specialist disability accommodation, also known as SBA. We'll be telling you about what it takes to move into independent living and how to make sure that your tenancy rights are upheld. Hi, Belinda and Kim. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, George. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you. Now, I'd like to start with you, uh, Belinda. Tell us about, uh, a bit about you, what you do, and your current living situation. Yep, um, I currently work with the Housing Hub. So I'm the lead of the SCA Tenants Reference Group. So we're a group of um, SCA tenants who meet on a quarterly basis and discuss things like issues with SDA and um, problems with that have arised during our SDA journey. And we try and come up with solutions to problems, etc. I do live in SDA. I have now lived in SDA for two years. It's actually my second anniversary living in SDA on Sunday. So I've reached a two-year mark. Um, I live in an apartment, a high physical support apartment in Melbourne, and, yeah, things are going really well. Loving it. Great. Thanks. And Kim? Uh, yeah, I'm Kim. I'm actually um, not working at the moment. I'm living in an SDA apartment in Melbourne, so the same, actually the same SDA apartment as Belinda, so we are neighbours. And- we are. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, we've, we've almost reached two, over two years actually now living here, and so far in terms of uh, the living arrangement has been really, really good, actually. Obviously, you know, it hasn't been the most fun, 2020, but um, there's a lot for you to uh, get out and about when uh, the COVID thing's over, hey? That's right, definitely. Yeah, doing a few more things now I am. I actually didn't leave my apartment last year from about, oh, maybe May was the last time I went for a quick jolt around um, the neighbourhood, but... I then didn't leave it until about November. So that's quite a few months Mm. just staying inside my apartment. So it's good to get out a little bit now and do a few things. Absolutely. Now, I really want to explore um, in this podcast what it's like to be an SDA tenant and to give um, people listening a real sense of how... SDA tenants can exercise choice and control mm-hmm. and also how SDA providers can do a better job in terms of making sure that the, the rights of tenants are, are, are upheld. So before we get into that detail, I'd like to just maybe get a sense of what your life was like before you moved into SDA and, and, and how you ended up in SDA. So can I start with you, um, Belinda? Yeah. I lived with my family um, in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. 
Um, my life actually wasn't that bad, but um, my mum is getting older, so it became um, more difficult for her to help me. At that stage, I didn't have support workers. It was just her and I. And also, I'm, I'm getting older too and just wanted my own life. I've always wanted to have my own apartment in the inner city. I'm a very city girl. I don't really like the car. I grew up in the country, always want to be a city girl. So I found out about SDA through uh, Austin Hospital. I wanted to move to the city so bad. Ended up getting it, luckily. So that's my journey from the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne into um, living with my parents or my mother. Sadly, my father passed away a while ago. And um, now living on my own with my cat. So it's been great. A similar situation, I was actually living with my parents after my accident. So I have a spinal cord injury. Before my, I should just take a couple of steps back. Before that, I was actually living overseas and living quite independently. I was in the UK for eight years and working. And then after my accident, I came home naturally because I wanted that support and to be around family. So I was actually in the Royal Talbot for rehab for seven months and I kind of, you know, outstayed my welcome there. So they sent me home without a modified house purely because I really didn't have any options at that point. My parents' home wasn't really one that could be easily modified because they live in a house where all bedrooms and apart, uh, sorry, bedrooms and uh, bathroom is all upstairs. Um, so I end up moving back to my parents' house, but living in their garage with my dog for for three and a half years. Wow! So you went from basically a uh, living in a hospital yeah. to living in a, uh, a garage. Yeah. So a, a un, yeah, unmodified garage. So I was not. It was it was good because I had my dog with me every day, and he's like, it's like you know, I do miss my dog, but it yeah, it was definitely not the life of getting independence purely because the place wasn't accessible. I could I needed I depended a lot on my mum to provide that care. The bathroom was. Um, and originally a toilet so we added in we did a lot of things that was probably not cancelled or approved let's put it that way um so I yeah so it, it wasn't it wasn't good so I found out about this SDA apartment through my support coordinator we had a catch-up and she got this in her inbox a week before our meeting and she just kind of ran it by me and I somehow managed to meet their deadline in terms of putting an application in. And reflecting on what you said, you went from inaccessible garage to a beautiful, fully accessible apartment, right, where you uh, obviously were suddenly able to um, do a lot more than you probably could before. And do a lot more independently. Is that right? That's right. And and like like uh, what Belinda said, my parents are. Um, I'm in my thirties, and my parents are getting older. So it was a heavily kind of uh, depending on them to provide the care. And so that in itself kind of really had an impact on, I guess, my personal relationships as well. So yeah, that that was a, a huge change moving into this type of arrangement. So can we talk about that? Uh transition time so moving into the apartment what was that like Belinda was it um was it a lot of work and what did the provider do to 
to make it easier. For me, it was actually quite quick. I should um, just say, uh, step back for a second and say that I also, when I lived in the other east, uh, I lived in rentals. So that's why I couldn't get anything modified. And I went from rental to rental. So it was good to finally have somewhere that was modified for me and that was accessible because we couldn't do any modifications in our rental places. So we just had to make do. And because of that, I I did really want to move into my own place and have some stability. And by the time I found out about SDA, I think it was about March 2018. And by March 2019, I was moving in. So that's only a year from actually finding out what SDA actually is to moving into SDA. So for me, it was really quick. Um, It just seemed to, you know, go bang, bang, bang. And suddenly I was here. Um, The process was actually quite, for me, I I thought it was quite simple because I had a great uh, support coordinator who helped me through the housing plan process and all those all those documents that we had to fill out um, in terms of applying for SCA, it was really quite easy for me. And I was constantly in contact. I I did have support from Summer Foundation at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was in contact quite a bit during the process with the developer. And so it was really quite good for me. Kim, how about for you? It's similar, I would say, now now reflecting on it, but I think the initial process of applying for an SDA for me was a little bit different in the sense that they looked at my disability compared to a person with a very, very complex disability. But what really kind of pushed it along across the line, I would say, was the fact that I was quite independent before my accident and um, and I wanted to live a very independent life and I also didn't have alternative accommodation. So, so in, a, in a way, our, the application to... I'm not sure. This is probably my opinion. I should really check this with my support coordinator. But from my opinion, it felt like it was that you know um, the NDIS really heard my voice in in regards to wanting to live independently as opposed to pushing um, for for the disability only. And I felt that that was really good because because of the fact that you know we you know that that is the point of independent living um, is is that independent life regardless of your disability. Absolutely. And I want to just reflect on your experiences with the SDA provider um, and just get a sense for what what was it that that your SDA provider did to help you to transition and maybe what could they have, you know, what, what, what things work well and what things could have been done better as a as something that providers might need to learn from your experience? Um, one thing I should just say, George, that I kind of found out who my SDA provider was about a week ago, which is really oh, quite okay. strange. And let me explain, explain that. Yeah, because that doesn't quite make sense, does it? We were working, I think, um, with a developer who I thought was our SDA provider all along until I was told in a meeting a week ago that um, this other company was our SDA provider. So if we're talking about this other company as an, our SDA provider, 
I didn't have any contact whatsoever with them until I signed my original rental agreement. So I had no contract, contact whatsoever with them and I've had very minimum contact with them since. Now, if I go back to the SDA developer who I thought was my SDA provider, they were actually quite good. I was in contact with them quite a lot um, before I moved in because we had to do modifications to the benches and I needed a few other things changed to suit myself, to suit my needs around the apartment, and they were quite good. So we kind of have this two SDA providers, um, one that did really nothing and one that was really quite good. When you say you had two SDA providers, it was the same apartment, right? But what I guess what you're saying is that some providers might outsource their tenancy management side mm-hmm. and, and is that the, the model of, of where you're living? Well, that's what, I, that's what I thought the model was. And I always assume that, but um, uh, Kim can probably... Um, answer this as well because I actually asked in this meeting, this group meeting we had last week, um, when did you become our SDA provider? And they said, we've always been your SDA provider. We always thought the builder all along was the SDA provider and the housing agent who collects our bill and collects our rent, sorry, was the just an agent, like as if, like, you, you know. Like we a real estate agent. Real estate agent. But the, that real estate agent happens to be the SDA provider. So there wasn't really clear, that wasn't clear to us right from the beginning, George. So, so this one bit of feedback is that, you know, it's important that people know um, who's responsible for what and correct. What, what the relationship is. And, and I guess it's really important that you know who to go to yep. if you're not happy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we, I mean, I always knew to go. See, I've got a history of renting, so I always need to go to the real estate agent if we had any maintenance issues and things like that. And that's what we that's what we would do with this um, company that now says they're our SDA um, provider. So um, it would have been really good at the start to know exactly what each company was called. Yeah. Um, because, like I said, I do have the history of rentals, so. I, um, I guess I applied that to this situation and maybe I got it wrong doing that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like um, it was quite confusing. Yeah. So let's talk about life as a tenant and a consumer of, of SDA. What, what are your rights as a tenant? What can you expect from your SDA provider? I, I always expect or want just what everyone else has um, in terms of, like I said, I've got the history of rental. So I, just, I want something similar to that. I want, I want it to sort of be my home that I can modify myself, which I guess is a little bit more than what you can do in rentals. So the most important thing that I want is obviously choice and control. It's choice and control of um, my supports. Mm-hmm. Choice and control of the things I do around my apartment. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really big thing for me. Choice and control. Yeah, so you want to be the one that makes the decisions. Yeah, yeah. This is my home, George. I, I, I want. I want. You know, 
to be able to, I want to be the queen of my domain, George. It's what I want to be. (laughs) Absolutely. Kim? Yep, I completely agree with Belinda because that's exactly where I stand with it too. I think, you know, um, SDA housing is not a, a short-term rental for most of us. It's our lives. My understanding, it, it's going to be funded through the NDIS for 20 years. So those who are living in SDA would look at this as a long-term approach and, um, and, the, and you know, SDA providers giving us the opportunity to, you know, um, put, out painting, put up paintings, put up pictures on our wall, not necessarily to do huge modifications of our own property out without permission, but um, being able to make it home is really important. I think the SDA provider in our case is really good at, at allowing that. For me, the choice and control is the biggest part, and I think that in itself is not what I'm concerned about in regards to the SDA provider, but definitely around the SIL provider to give us that choice around how who comes in out to our home, how our care plan is delivered, etc. Yeah, that's right. The concept of choice and control, it's, it can be as simple as, um, you know, what pictures you put on your wall, but it can also come down to what you just said, Kim, and that's um, who comes into your home, yeah. right, and delivers um, very personal um, support and that, that, that that ultimately you don't have choice and control if those decisions are being made mm-hmm. by another person, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. So do you think that this is something that some SDA providers can sometimes struggle with or not quite get their head around? And do you have any sort of examples of that? Uh, definitely. I think sometimes some SDAs can probably, and you got you both can correct me if I'm wrong, um, could fall back into the old model of care whereby the SDA and SIL provider is one provider. Um, oh. In our case, they are two separate providers. Um, I think they need to know clearly that we're in a SDA model of care model of oh, sorry accommodation whereby the SDA provider and SIL provider are independent from each other and therefore there should be clear lines of of that in terms of there will be zero conflict of interest. Our SDA provider um, made the decision on who our SIL provider would be before we moved in and we had to agree to that SIL provider to be able to move into our apartment. So there was no real choice control as to who our SIL provider would be. We had no choice at all. We were told who our SIL provider would be. And while they're two different companies, they do have a partnership that extends over more than one SDA property. Mm-hmm. So while they are separate, there is that relationship which can be problematic, um, especially if you don't get a choice of who your SIL provider will be. I find that problematic. Because I, I just want to um, really explain that issue a bit more, mainly with respect to the, the need for conflict of interest to be addressed. But what I'm thinking now is like, when we're talking about 
having choice over our lives, it really is around being able to say, thank you for recommending this provider. Um, it's not really working for me. Mm-hmm. Can I? Oh, not can I. I will now make the choice to find another provider that is more suited to my needs and that having that conversation is one that doesn't affect your tenancy, yeah. one that, 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 that you can have openly and honestly and, and that can lead to an outcome where, where you're, you're deciding who comes into your home, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's really that basic. Yeah, and we didn't get that choice. And also, when we moved in, we had to agree to have the silk company provide us with all our individual one-on-one personal care shifts within our house. So they're also doing our personal care shifts and our emergency backup service. So they were doing basically all our personal care. That wasn't great. Tell people who are listening why that doesn't work. Because you just don't get choice of who you work with or who works with you. You don't really get a choice of who comes into your apartment. You have to use the support workers that they provide you with and they don't like you saying, I would like to have this person work with me when they want you to work with another person. They are actually quite trying to push back on that a lot. And so... Doesn't it do, isn't it more than that though? Doesn't it create a a, a power situation where if, for example, the provider knows that they can be changed or if they know that they, that that, the consumer can say, sorry, but this isn't working for me, doesn't that change the dynamic in a really positive way for the consumer? It should, but it didn't really work like that here. Um, about a year ago, I said I wanted my daily supports away from the SIL provider, and the SIL provider came back with, you can't mm-hmm. take away your uh, supports and your one-on-one supports with us because we have a written agreement on a contract signed with your SCA provider to provide all of your personal care. So you're not, you can't do that, Belinda. You have to have all your care with us. Yeah. And so, so, all of, so all of a sudden, your rights as a consumer are not worth anything, are they? No, no. We, we were not in the position of power in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, the the SIL provider exercised all the power that they could against us. Yeah, it was really, really quite stressful. I got quite sick with it and had to go to cardiologists and all sorts of things because of the stress it was putting on my heart. So it was quite a fight and it's, yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. I'm sorry that you went through that. I know that it, it's very, very um, stressful when, you know, people like us who depend on others for really, you know, personal aspects of our lives. Uh-huh. But people don't, people don't understand how 
key how central it is and how vital it is that we have a say, in, right. no, not have a say, have control yeah. over over um, who provides our support, and and I'm very sorry that you that you had to go through that. It's it would have been very unpleasant, and it sounds like you have resolved that now. Is that right? Yeah, I had to go through a lot of complaints process to actually get anything done, but eventually people started to listen. And um, after going to the NDIS Safeguards Commission, I was then approached by a CA provider who actually asked, well, you know, what was going on, what I told them, and they did eventually. And it was, and when I say eventually, um, this was February this year, I got a new NDIS plan that said I could have um, anyone I wanted for my one-on-one. So finally... After almost two years, I did get my um, one-on-ones away from the SIL provider and now I have complete control of who comes in and does my support. So it's so much better and now I can basically like live the life I want to with the supports in place that allow me to do that. Fantastic. Isn't that what it's all about? Yeah. It's what it should be about. It's what we all hope it's about. So... We definitely, definitely want it to be about that. And it looks like it's kind of our choice and control is kind of given to us when we go for a fight. That's what's happened Um, as opposed to, you you know, you have the right right to choice and control right from the beginning. And I think that, you know, just to what Belinda said before was that it kind of started right from the beginning, which is when we're being given a SEAL provider as opposed to being given the opportunity to choose who the SIL provider is. And it might be just a matter of the developer and 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 time um, restraints they had where they had to get tenants in, they needed to get a SIL provider straight away, they didn't have time to waste and they just appointed someone. But as a result of that, that's kind of like had a knock-on effect to our lives um, and 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 who who, who will provide that uh, that uh, the, the support and um, and both I'm in a very similar situation to Belinda, so we both fight for our choice and control and uh, manage to get that through um, this year. I got mine at the end of last year where I'm able to have full control of who comes in for my one to one care. Well done, guys, and we need to recognise that not everyone has that ability, right, to speak up for themselves. So it's really important that the estate providers um, set things up well from the beginning to maximise source and control. And I think that the, the point that you've made there, Kim, is a really important one, that, that, that you know, that the provider probably didn't realise what the consequences would be um, for your life. And it's really only through listening yeah, like listening carefully um, to what you're saying, yeah. that they learned that, hang on, this isn't right and let's do it better. Can I just say, uh, I know that, you know, I can I say in terms of listening, George, is they were not, weren't only just listening to us. They had We had to bring in the NDIS and the Complaint Commission and an army of people to kind of get them to listen. So, yeah, so they eventually listened. 
basically is what, what it is. It took a little while. It took a while. And I just thought, I just thought you're, what you're saying is that it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that, right? Yeah. yeah. You should be able to sit down with your provider and say, hey, provider, this is what I want. Can uh, you listen to what I'm saying? And in the end, you're the, you're the boss, right? Yeah. You need to be the boss. It's your life. And I think they also need to be um, open to change as well because as you go through the years, your situation's going to change. And so it's, it's great to have something set up at the very beginning, but they've also got to remember that maybe a year in, maybe two years in, maybe whatever, mm-hmm. people's lives change. So you may need different supports. You may need different setups. Um, I think it's important that just remember, for them to remember that, you know, disability um, doesn't necessarily say the same. You may need different things over time. Yeah. So, yes, listen at the beginning, listen in the middle, listen after three years' time, just always listen to your tenants. Yeah. That's a fantastic message. Oh. Are there any other things that, you, that you'd like to uh, say to any of the estate providers that might be listening? Um um, in terms of advice on how to how to make sure that 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 they respect uh, your rights as a as a consumer. Yeah, I'll just say um, one thing that I always say um, when I'm asked, "What advice would you give to SCA providers?" And one of the biggest things is know your tenants. I mean, know your know their support needs, um, but also know them as people, um, because. There's various different things that can affect how they live. And I'll give I'll give you an example, George. Um, I, I'm a vegetarian um, and I don't know if my provider ever knew that about me because my apartment is directly, and I mean directly, it's one floor up from the communal barbecue. And yeah. it's really, it's not a great time to be a vegetarian in my apartment um, during summer when everyone's out there barbecuing their steaks and their sausages and whatever. Oh, no. <laughs> that would be awful for you. But you know what's funny? I love the smell of barbecue. I can't eat it. But I love it, right? And yeah. um, so, you know, I should be there, not you. Yeah. yeah you, should be here. you should be here smelling the barbecues every every <laughs> second night, George. You'd love it. <laughs> you think it's amazing. <laughs> I have to keep my door shut. Although I was lucky with COVID, um, our communal area was closed for quite a few months. So I got a bit of a reprieve there and was able to have my, my doors open and enjoy the balcony. But, um, yeah, it's open again now, so I'm expecting a few barbecues to happen once, what you're uh, saying. once the weather picks up. I think, you, I think that point's really well made that – you're not just your disability. You're, yeah. you know, you're a woman. You're a vegetarian. You're, I don't know what else you are. You're an actor. Um, you like Audrey Hepburn. I know. Yeah, from yeah. Observing <laughs> in your apartment. <laughs> so get to know that that person absolutely, yeah. and that they're not in their disabilities. Yeah. 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 Support needs Have, are important, but also. Who we are as people uh, is very important as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. I completely agree with that. Well, now that we kind of know 
who the STA provider more so I think you know that 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 is their job to really understand us as as people and to be responsive and, and check in I do want to just like go back about a couple of steps in terms of before moving in one of the things that the SDA providers didn't well I would I don't know if it's okay it's the builder but it is the SDA providers responsibility in our case uh, is to do a proper OT assessment on our home so I know that like at the beginning of our our podcast I did say you know it is fantastic It, it has been built to to the standard that we needed. But, however, before we moved in, we had a quick, I'm not sure if you remember this, um, Belinda, but we had a quick OT come in with the builders um, whereby they were to check kind of like how everything was built to our specific needs. During that time, I, I remember it wasn't taken very seriously in terms of that assessment and that's the feel I got because um, I was there to really get a proper OT assessment. I gave the feedback that, that things needed to be changed like the bench of the kitchen bench to add in pull-down shelves so I can reach the top shelves, remove carpet from my bedroom because I'm in a manual wheelchair so that's really hard for my shoulders. And things like that didn't really get listened to right from the beginning from a from a builder's SDA provider perspective. I think that in itself has caused a bit of problems um, over time because when I request for it now, I have to go through the whole process again where, where an OT needs to come out and do an assessment, they need to approve whether these modifications can happen, et cetera. So, and I think that adding the pandemic goes back to listening to the individual and and what they need and recognizing that SDM providers don't know everything and and also um we're all different, right? Like you you want you need um floorboards, someone else might need carpet because they feet cold. Right? Like, I don't know. Um, and and recognizing that to be a good provider, you need to know what the what your tenant needs are, and do what you can. What's reasonable? We love that word, don't we? What's reasonable <laughs> to um, make sure that the 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 person's happy. Yeah, there's some things also that they did miss in my apartment. But for example, in my kitchen, I've only got. I think one PowerPoint, maybe two, but in the, no PowerPoints up one end of my kitchen, except for one that's right up in the top, at the back of the top cupboard, that <laughs> even some of my support workers can't reach. So, you know, it's, that's, that should be a no-brainer, that that um, PowerPoint shouldn't be up there. It should be down lower, but... Um, yeah, that seemed to have been missed in my apartment. So checking in on the tenants at the beginning, midway, and even like like Belinda said, three years down the track to see, is this working for you? Can we help to make these changes? Um, and, uh, yeah, so having that relationship with the tenants to really understand them as individuals um, and their needs as well. Because I've definitely changed now. I'd get that PowerPoint down lower and I also hate carpet in my bedroom, and I've got carpet in my bedroom, so I'd love that to go. If I ever that could go, that would be perfect. Yeah. But um, I don't know if it can or not. I just I just don't like carpet much. Yeah. And I have my reasons for that too, but I can't really say them here. 
the, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, the, the, the SDA, um, you know, the building standards, you know, might say nothing about carpet, right? Uh-huh. But you need to listen to the person. Correct. Um, that, that is where you'll learn what you need to do. And that's an interesting thing because I didn't know um, when I, before I moved in here, I saw carpet there. I was like, oh, no, that's terrible. But I didn't even know because I was very new that I could ask for maybe the carpet to be removed before I moved in. So that's something I didn't know that I could possibly do. And so, so I just kept quiet and it stayed there. Um, I kind of wish I, I spoke up a little bit at the time, but I, didn't, I actually didn't know I could. So, so what, what providers need to do is let tenants know what um, their options are and yeah. And and let them and ask them what can I do to make this house um, safe, comfortable, and suited to your needs. Yeah, it's I mean, like any it's like any uh, any uh, consumer customer relationship. You yeah. you need to ask people what what works for them, what suits them. Yeah, I did ask for um, a TV point in my bedroom to be changed because. It originally was in my wardrobe, which is not where I want to keep my TV. I'd rather keep my clothes in my wardrobe. Mm-hmm. So I asked them to put it to the side and um, our tech guy said, oh, no, that can't be done, that can't be done. My SDA developer said, yeah, yep, it can be, and it was done. Um, so there was a little bit fight even to get the TV point moved. So I didn't even try with the carpet. I thought, no. I didn't think I could because it had already been laid and that would be an even bigger job. So, um, yeah. I requested for the uh, for the carpets to be removed after it was installed, but I actually requested it before the apartment was built. So um, they didn't listen, they didn't listen. And then I, I went into the assessment that day. I remember looking at the apartment and I said, hang on, there, sh- there should be no carpet here. And, um, and I just made sure that they remove those carpets because it is a it's very very um it puts a lot of strain on the shoulder especially in a manual wheelchair and it's 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 a nightmare especially if you're coming out of the shower into wet carpet so um those things need to be considered i think well in advance it will save the sda providers loads of money and time as well yeah yeah are there any final words before we uh wrap it up um, know your tenants. That's all. That's my final words. Know your tenants. <laughs> perfect. Kim? Know your tenants and, yeah, know, exactly what Belinda said. Know your tenants and know what their rights rights, and let them exercise their choice and control. Yeah, know what their needs are beyond their disability as well, with their disability and beyond it. These are really great messages and I've really enjoyed our chat. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having us, George. That's great. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. If you've missed an episode, check out the Summer Foundation website where you'll find links to all previous podcasts and transcripts as well as our latest info and resources. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.